This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Handbook for Closet Conservatives, How to Succeed in a Liberal World, and the author is Lefton Wright, and he joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Lefton. Well, hello. Good to be here. Great to have you with us. And, of course, I think the title says it all, but you want to help us what to say, not to say, what to do, not to do, but have a good time while doing it or not doing it. I mean, that sums up your book, doesn't it? It sums up the book, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy when, when, when you live in an area where you're uh, surrounded by, by liberals who, who know it all and uh, kind of scoff. They scoff at you. They look down at you if you, if you come up with a, with a different opinion. So being a little lonely, I figured <laughs> I'd write this book and reach out to others and say all the things I really, I want to say. And uh, maybe maybe that'll help other people. Well, you have to be crafty. There you go. Crafty this book is. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about some of the issues and your view on them. Before we do, though, Lefton, tell us a little bit about your background. And then, of course, uh, I guess your great meeting with Jimmy Carter. Oh, Jimmy Carter, yeah. Well, my background, my background, uh, advertising. I was an ad man in New York, Madison Avenue. You know, the things that, uh, that you read about, that you see on, on TV now. Um, and from that, uh, I, I kind of retired. Whereupon we, uh, we got a place in Florida, drove back and forth, and once, but stopped along the way, which is a, another thing. At least I got to know other people. You know, we didn't just stop at uh, a motel on the highway and go on. And one time, uh, we, we went to Plains, Georgia, we figured, well, you know, we were going to visit people in Atlanta anyhow, so we went to Plains, Georgia, and went to the uh, the church service, and there was and there was Jimmy Carter. They said how lucky we were because very often, you know, he, he wasn't there. So, so there he was, Jimmy Carter himself, and he got up after after the services, and he said, "I know." Well, first of all, he said, "I've just come back from Dubai." Does anybody know <laughs> where Dubai is? <laughs> you know, thinking we were all idiots, but uh, but we did. A number of us. Oh yeah, the Emirates and so forth. And he talked about his great relationship with uh, the Dubai people. It turned out later I read that Dubai was really a center of money laundering uh, to get money to Al Qaeda, but uh, we didn't know it then. Anyhow, uh, Jimmy said. After after the service, he said, "I know you would all like to meet Rosalind." <laughs> so after right now, he said, "You can you line up, you know, behind the church, and we'll come out, and you can take pictures with us, and uh, and and do that." And we thought, "Well, that's terrific." So we we went out and back. We lined up, and there was Rosalind, there was Jimmy, met my wife and me, and I said to him, "You know, 
He said, you're the last Democrat I voted for. <laughs> I couldn't resist it. <laughs> he said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so that was, that was my encounter with Jimmy Carter, and, and it was worth it. So why did you switch from leave the Democrat Party? Oh, Lord. Well, there, was a, there, were, there, were, there were limits. I mean, I started to realize that uh, you know, I'm paying all these taxes, and it's going, it's going to people on welfare. People on welfare don't have to work. I mean, they're, they're really sort of discouraged from working. You know, and I, this is, you know, I was working in New York at the time, and you could see it all around you. And uh, I, you could see the, the, the crime. This was before Giuliani. You could see how the city was getting kind of dangerous, and you would hear about the, the rights that criminals have, and like, they couldn't be touched. You know, they could, they could go down, they'd walk down the streets with their boom boxes blaring away, and you just kind of accepted it. You, you cringe is, is what you did. Uh, you know, you saw this, this happening all around you. You saw, um, well, over here in, in Yonkers, they, there were these big, uh, this pressure to put public housing, you know, in, in good places. Or there, and they finally did, you know, they, they, and neighborhoods just, just got destroyed. Busing, I could busing happened in the next town to us. Perfectly fine school system, but it just went to hell, you know, once, once they, they brought in people who really didn't belong there. So, uh, little by little, I got the message. <laughs> and, and I, and I switched. And I mentioned this to people, and I figured, well, they'd all, they'd understand. They'd figure this out, too. They'd feel the same way. But no, no, it, uh, that didn't happen. They, they kind of stuck to their, uh, uh, their, their beliefs. It's like, a, you know, his chip was embedded in them. You know, so that anyhow, at that point, I switched over and became a kind of the, the lone, uh, the lone conservative, uh, in the group. And when you voted for Ronald Reagan, you thought you'd be punished? I felt guilty. Yeah, yeah. It took an awful lot to do that. I mean, it took an awful lot. Yeah. But it worked out. I, I and so I, the second time, I couldn't wait to vote for him because, you know, I thought he'd done a great job. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And other people went, well, they went halfway. I did know a couple of other people. They went as far as to vote. I think Anderson, the, the third party at that time, he came in. And they actually, uh, they went that far. But I went all the way. I figured, oh, look, you know, we got to do something. But, yes, I felt guilty. I felt uh, I've, I've broken with, <laughs> with tradition, you know. So, but, yes. so, so you see a little humor as a deadly thing to liberals? Well, they they can't take it because they they they're they're serious, you know about uh, about their beliefs. You you can't really you can't kid around. They um, well take this uh, you know like like global warming thing, that which they're so uh, adamant about. And I said I said well and I'd exactly you know you're spending billions. This country's spending billions. Uh, what are we trying to do with global warming? Are you trying to stop it? Are you trying to make it less warm? You know? <laughs> are you trying to delay it? What is the point? Because whatever you do, you know, it's going to get warmer. The, the climate has been changing for trillions of years, long before anybody had a, an automobile, long before anybody knew what, you know, had gasoline. It's, it's been going on, and this is not, you're not going to do anything about it. And with all the money you spend, I mean, you're going to have great, wonderful meetings in exotic places around the world. You can make a career out of it, which I think, you know, they're doing. But the, the, the response is, well, we've got to do something. 
You know, there's this the feeling, there's a, there's a fear. There's the fear that somehow, you know, those, that not only those polar bears are going to be drowning, <laughs> but that Florida's going to go under the ocean. And they, they've been scared, you know, they've been scared. And I said, look, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't happened yet. And, uh, you know, and actually uh, climate change has benefited people. From what I see, you know, the northern regions, I think it's Greenland and so forth, land that was rock hard before, now has become fertile, and they're actually they're growing crops on it. It's been beneficial. So, um, and look at all the joys. Of, however, it's it's hard to make it's it's hard to make make an impression. I think what I advise, and I'm not going to, you know, well, go along with it and sort of get the get the invest in the companies that are going to benefit from this. Right. You know, buy what Nancy Pelosi is buying. <laughs> exactly. So, and that might, <laughs> that's the only way I can get around that, just take advantage of it. What about racism? That, that seems to be everywhere. If you don't agree with President Obama, you're a racist. I think the word racism should, that, there's a law I think should, should happen. I don't, you know, generally laws are not for because they take away you know, your freedom. I would like to see a law banning the use of the word racism. I think if you couldn't say it, <laughs> you'd get right to the point. I mean, if somebody uh, attacked somebody, it, you'd get to the cause of it. You know, what, did they do it? Didn't they do it? Uh, if, if, you know, somebody gets shot, whatever they do, if you could eliminate the word racism, that just, that just sends you off on a tangent that has nothing to do with the, with, with the issue. But, uh, it's, it's a democratic, um, what can I say? Mainstay. They they use it because it's it's what they've got. You know, it's uh, it's how they get votes, and they have, they keep it going. They keep you know they they keep agitating it, and it's not there. You know, there isn't a job that we conceive. There isn't a job. There isn't a place that that uh, minorities can't live, or if it's just uh, they they can be president of the United States, obviously. In fact, it's beneficial. <laughs> I mean. For them, because uh, there are people I know who will vote who voted for Obama because they're just thrilled to have a black uh, in office, right. regardless right. of his point of view. I mean, they vote for him either way. He could be a leftist or rightist. It's just delightful that he's there. It shows how good we are. So, at any rate, as I say, I would love to get racism out of. I mean, just not use the word, and then then, then you can get maybe to the to the heart of things. Well, there's a lot of colors that you see or hear about in the news. Of course, there's the red political, there's the blue political, but boy, the big thing, the big color that seems to raise its delightful, ugly head a lot is green. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, what do we do about that? <laughs> I mean, green is seems, you know, green fuel, environmentally safe. It's got green all over it. And I mean, there's a lot of good stuff for that, but it, it is seemed to be almost become a religion as well. It's a religion and people still, because I was talking, I was talking to a fellow the other day and he asked me, are you green? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, well, uh, yes and no. I mean, it all depends. I mean, because I, I, he said, well, he he believes in using wind power and solar. And I said, you know, they've been working on that now for a lot of years. You know, they've been working on these things, and they still find that the, that that the oil, you know, gasoline, is the best thing that they've got. I mean, works the most efficiently, and especially with fracking, which is a dangerous word to use. <laughs> I said, we apparently have an unlimited supply of it. We have enough to make gasoline really cheap. 
and make ourselves independent, energy independent, so we don't have to apologize to uh, to the, the the Middle Eastern countries. You know, we don't have to count out to them. I said that's you know that's the reality of it. But no, you know, they're still working on sun power and wind power and all of that. And some of it might be fine, but it's it's, it's it ain't going to be what uh, what you know as good as what we've got. It'd be interesting. Uh, you know, to... Hydrocarbons do work, and uh, they've made it more efficient, and that's that's fine. I mean, the more mileage you can get per gallon, that's a that's that's terrific. But don't spend zillions of dollars, you know, with cilantro, and and you're just going to get taken. You do, you know. Right. That's well, my that's my green observation. Yeah, well, it is, it's and, and you do. know, yeah. and then you go into. I was uh, reading where you know the the uh, uh, getting fuel made from corn is really bad for the, the our engines, you know. But it stretches. It turned out that way. Yeah. yeah. See, that's where, yeah, right. That's where uh, I took my advice and shouldn't have because I invested in <laughs> ethanol <laughs> in a company that's big on that. Yes, right. And now you read even in the New York Times they did a whole article on the uh, folly. Of uh, of ethanol, and that it's not working. It's bad for the engines. You're getting worse mileage than before. It's it's just it's a disaster. In addition to creating shortages of of corn, red rising, uh, driving the price up for food. You know, creating a problem there. Yes, that's true. Even the but it's funny. Even the New York Times. You know, they were the ones who pushed it, and now they tell you how dumb it is. So, but nothing happened. <laughs> it doesn't seem to matter, right? But I think there are enough people who, who whose careers depend upon uh, so-called alternative energy that it's a long way, a long time before they're going to back down, you know, before they will admit there was there was truly a mistake. So, as we view the 2016 election, what do you think of Hillary being the next president? Oh God! Well, see, now that's where. Um, uh, again, at, at, at the tennis court, this, uh, this came up, and the fellow said, he said, oh, I think, you know, she's been doing a good job. And I said, you mean even after Benghazi? And he said, well, everyone's entitled to a mistake. You know? <laughs> oh, and I said, yeah, I mean, like the captain of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so, and he said, well, I think, uh, well, let's get back on the court, you know, so... <laughs> They don't want to hear that. I couldn't believe it. Everyone's entitled to a mistake. I mean, four four people were killed. Right. Yeah. And uh, where where was she? Well, where was Obama? I think that's part of the. That's an awful thing. Uh, you know, I remember Watergate, where the press, the media, they they went after Nixon every single day. They didn't uh, right. uh, pull back. They didn't protect the president. Here they are. I mean, here. To me, it's quite obvious that uh, the, the man at the top, he's our commander-in-chief. Where was he at Benghazi? I mean, who, isn't he the one who gave the orders not to, do, not to come to their rescue? I mean, that's, his, that's where his job is there. Yet they won't tell you where he was. You know? But it seems, it seems, who gave, uh, what's her name, that rice lady, the, the talking point, right. go on shows and, yeah. and, and blame it all on that, on that film? Well, some of they do. They've never said who told her what to say. Well, I would, you know, I would question the president. He's in charge. 
I assume he's in charge. <laughs> so just in just in the closing moments that we have left in, uh, you say don't even try to convince a liberal that he or she is wrong. Just show how ridiculous they are. Make it funny, and maybe they'll get it. <laughs> maybe they'll get it. Yeah, if you can just uh, just well go into the recycling thing. You know how people you can have a nervous breakdown trying to figure you know what to put where. You know. <laughs> Sometimes they get that, I will say, because they're getting, you know, I have a daughter-in-law in San Francisco, and you you go out in front of their house, and there are these hundreds of cans, you know, hundreds of containers, and every day there's a new decision of what to put where, and, uh, you know, you can, you can, it, it can be a greater crime putting plastic in a, in a than, uh, than, than committing murder, you know, <laughs> it's just unbelievable, but, uh then they get it. There's a little thing there. We're tired of it, you know, and that's that's kind of a a, a point where maybe you can re, you can reach them. So, what more can I tell you? We've uh, been listening to Left and Right. He is the author of his book, The Handbook for Closet Conservatives: How to Succeed in a Liberal World. Left and tell us how to get your book. You get my book. I understand Amazon has it. I'd like. Uh, They'll get it, and uh, Barnes and Noble. Is there any other way? Uh, I think you can go right to iUniverse. Right, but, you can go right uh, to iUniverse.com and get it. iUniverse.com, well. mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm more the author. I don't get, get involved in, the, <laughs> <laughs> in those details of selling. But uh, I was impressed that Amazon has them, and apparently it's doing okay. Well, great. Well, it should. It's, uh... The Handbook for Closet Conservatives. Thank you so much, Lefton, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. It was a delight. I appreciate it. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl. The inspiration for the movie, Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host, Mary Similuka. And frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things. And are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. 
TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 Central, on Toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Crystal Balls, and the authors, Bill Rogers and Steve Mueller, and Bill joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Bill. Hello. Good to have you with us. Uh, this story really deals with psychic abilities. You say a guy reveals his psychic abilities in a shocking display, prompting his buddies to go on an insane journey of enlightenment. So, well, it's fiction, but psychic interplay to a lot of people is not fiction. It's real life, isn't it? Well, that's right. And, and uh, uh, my co-author, Steve Mueller, who is uh, now deceased, um, uh, claimed to be psychic, and he said he could talk to the dead and uh, all that stuff. So um, whether it's true or not, I don't know. I believed him, but uh, who knows? But um, we, uh, we wrote actually a screenplay at first about 10 years ago called Crystal Balls, and this, this book is basically this, that screenplay converted into a short novel. And uh, we called it, uh, I think of it as the sixth sense meets the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> so you say yeah, that, that it, it, obviously this, this book is uh, it's silly, too. Well, it, it is. Um, Steve and I w- wanted to write uh, a comedy, and we're, we're very you know, fond of uh, um, movies like, uh, like Dumb and Dumber and, and uh, a lot of the Mike Myers movies stuff like that, and we just um, really wanted to make something funny, and because Steve was allegedly psychic, I said, well, why don't we write an insane screenplay about psychic people, because you, you're psychic, so maybe we'll use that, it's kind of cool, so that's what we did. So this play that turned into a book, uh, it deals with this 30-year-old Roger, who is uh, got a few buddies. He's got, what, three buddies? And he wants to yeah. bring them all to meet, uh, what's her name, Anna? Dream Chaser. Anya Dream Chaser. Anya, Anya Dream yeah. Chaser. That's right. Psychic extraordinaire. That's right. Um, and it's, you know, uh, it's sort of, I'm Roger in the book, um, and uh, Steve is a, a character named Carl. And yeah, there's four buddies, uh, Roger and Carl, and there's two other guys, uh, Gregory and a guy named Ralph. And they meet up um, at a sort of coffee shop um, uh, called The Labyrinth, and uh, they get to talking, and they see that uh, uh, one of them notices an advertising leaflet for a psychic demonstration, which is occurring uh, uh, 45 minutes from now, uh, down uh, over at the university, and it's uh, it's set in Toronto, so that's where I'm from, the University of Toronto. So um, they all, so no one wants to go. They all, they, everyone's skeptical. Anya, dream chaser, she must be a fake. And there's no such thing as psychics. So uh, Roger sort of talks them all into going, and they go, and uh, uh, she turns out to to be uh, to be a fake. But uh, the weird part is Carl turns out to be psychic 
and he reveals that at the show, and his buddies are stunned. And Carl, he uh, takes them on quite a journey then. Well, that's right. I mean, they, they sort of go on... Uh, because they're they're so stunned by what by what's uh, what's occurred, they 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 uh, two of the guys in particular, Gregory and Ralph, they uh, they're really shaken by this. Um, and um, Gregory, as it turns out um, in the book, he he used to be a devout church-going uh, Catholic person, and he'd sort of fallen astray. He'd stopped going to church and. He sort of was. He becomes inspired to to, to reconnect with with his uh, religious past, and so he so he go, goes into uh, his old church and ends up uh, in a very bizarre um, confrontation with a uh, an insane Scottish churchman, and that takes him on a, a crazy adventure. Uh, Ralph goes on something a bit different. He uh, he's one of these people who who thinks, well, if if, if Carl can do it. I can do it. I can be psychic too. So he gets, he digs out his Ouija board and, uh, doesn't have any success with that. So, but he's really determined to try to, you know, participate and become psychic himself if he can. And he ends up, um, hooking up with this, uh, bizarre new age cult. And, uh, they, uh, he goes on this crazy adventure with them. Roger's a little bit more, calm about it he's his attitude is oh let's uh carl let's use your psychic abilities and go to the casino and win big um and that's kind of his take on it and so the the rest of the story is sort of these following these separate adventures um of these crazy you know these crazy adventures and there's a there's also a love story tied in as well with roger who's got a crush on one of the waitresses at the at the coffee shop and it's it's a bit of a complicated story, but the thing that is that everything's interconnected, and the more the more you read, the more you, these coincidences happen, and it's sort of it's supposed to be like an illustration of that, the interconnectedness uh, of everything. And you say you want the readers to ponder profound spiritual questions, and then laugh at them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, because that's what that's the way Steve was, you know. Um, I mean, this is a guy who claimed to be able to talk to the dead, um, but he was one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet, and uh, and and he had a really funny take on it. I mean, there. Uh, so we kind of tried to put that into the story, um, a comedy. Uh, again, it's like the Sixth Sense. That movie, with you know, the one with Bruce Willis where the kid sees dead people. Right. It's, it's not a funny movie, but it's uh, really interesting. And we thought, of, can we combine that with something as crazy as, you know, Dumb and Dumber or recently the, the Hangover movies? What if we combine those two? Because, you know, Steve used to laugh at it. He really did. And so that's what we tried to do. So he claimed he saw angels and heard the dead Talk to him at the most inopportune time. <laughs> That's right. He, exactly. Um, and uh, there's an interesting uh, uh, passage uh, in, in the book, which I'm trying to find here. Um, and it's, it, he's talking about, uh, um, yeah, here it is. Uh, one time he saw an angel. And, th- and this is actually stuff that's, that Steve 
who is Carl in the book, actually said to me when he was alive, and he said, uh, yeah, it was amazing. I was talking to some dead people, and then suddenly this presence. I felt this warmth, this terrific, wonderful, warm love, like a hand running across a harp that plays love instead of notes. It wanted you to know it was there, a vast, loving presence that washed in and around and through everything. And uh, uh, Steve, Alec, you know, claimed to have had that experience. But then, uh, you know, the net, uh, if he, you talk to him again, and he'll, he'll start making fun of it, you know. Um, and uh, a lot of the, the, the comedy that's uh, hopefully in the story is it came out of Steve uh, as well. So he had that weird combination of allegedly psychic and really funny. A slapstick comedy. That's what we were trying to do, exactly. So uh, we've got topics, uh, you know, dealing with psychics, the afterlife. Yeah. Of course, Steve's alleged psychic ability. Of what else? What other? Any other characters or any other plots in it or or yeah. events? Events you'd like to share with us? Well, yeah, there's there's a bunch, and again, everything's interconnected um, in, in the book. But there, there's one character who, um, Captain Buford Mayhew, who uh, is a retired U.S. Air Force um, captain, and uh, he um, talks about. Uh, there's some flashbacks uh, where he talks about um, working with psychics with the U.S. Air Force during the Cold War. And apparently, um, and if you Google this, I think it, uh, they released some documents. The government uh, in, this, in the U.S. released some documents, and I think it was called the Stargate Project. But they actually, uh, apparently they did. The U.S. Air Force did get some psychics together, and they were trying to, to find out where the Russian missile silos were in, in the 70s. And... Steve had seen a documentary about this on Discovery Channel, and there was there was some guy talking about it, and apparently it, it did happen. I don't know how accurate it was. I, I think uh, if you read about it now, they say, well, it it wasn't accurate. It didn't do us any good. But the interesting thing is, they actually the U.S. Air Force did it, you know, and and uh, so there's a character uh, um, who's you know he's a, an ex captain of uh, the Air Force. He talks about. Um, that experience that he had in the seventies. So are Scotsmen inherently funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I am part Scottish. Just, just so you know, I'm a, of the Robertson clan um, on my dad's side. But yeah, I mean, if you listen to, um, uh, well, Mike Myers uh, is a perfect example, and he's actually from uh, from Toronto, and I believe. Either his father's or one of his relatives. He has Scottish blood in him for sure. And uh, you know, if you if you've seen any of the Mike Myers movies, um, so I married an axe murderer is a good example. <laughs> oh, or or um, the Austin Powers movies. There's mm-hmm. that Scott, that big fat Scottish guy, uh, <laughs> uh, fat. I think it's fat bastard. There's anyway, uh, and then the the Shrek movie. Um, I read somewhere that. Uh, Mike Myers re- recorded the voice for the first Shrek movie, and then he said, "You know what, guys? I want to redo this because I want to do it in a Scottish accent because it's just funny." And so he did. And as we know, 
Shrek is uh, has a little Scottish accent to this day. <laughs> I don't know what's so funny about it. I mean, it just um, there's something about. I mean, I think it's a beautiful accent, but there's something about a Scotsman who gets angry and you know, if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. You know that that <laughs> Pink Floyd song. There's just something about it. So Steve, when we were writing it, he really kind of took off on that idea, and we we're just laughing our heads off. So we we have this character in Crystal Balls who uh, he's a Scottish churchman and he's he's just crazy and um, uh, it, part of it is is sort of the accent. If it was ever made into a movie, um, you'd have to have uh, someone who can do a good Scottish accent. Okay, the big question: What happened to the cute girl at the local coffee shop? <laughs> well, let's just say there is a love story involving um, involving Roger, and I'll just say that uh, it's got a hap- The book has a happy ending. Uh, isn't <laughs> that nice? Give, give too much away, but um, I mean, to be honest, we, we just sort of when we were putting it together, Steve and I, we just thought, you know, every good movie's got a love story, so we, you know, we <laughs> we, we deliberately tried to throw one in, and and uh, we just worked with it. And, uh, yeah, I'll just say it's got a happy ending. But you have deep philosophy here. You say there is a fabric to the universe, and sometimes you get caught on a loose thread. That's right, and that was one of Steve's Steve's lines. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't... uh, It's a theme that runs through uh, Crystal Balls, and... That, that was one of the ways he described it was, was uh, um, it's like uh, there is this fabric, like everything's interconnected um, in ways that we don't necessarily understand while we're necessarily living day to day, but it's there. And, uh, you know, I remember Steve said, well, people call them coincidences, but it's part of the fabric of the universe. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's... Uh, it's not something I ever was aware of because, again, I'm, I'm not psychic at all, and maybe no one is. I don't know, but that's the way Steve used to talk about it. It was like these threads. and um, you know, in, in physics, actually, there, there's something called the superstring theory, which I have no idea what it's about, but it's called superstring. That tells me something. Mm-hmm. It does. It tells us something. We're not sure what it tells Maybe, us, but it tells us that's something. That's right. I have no idea what. It, but that, that's sort of the way he he you know everything's woven together. The title of the book, Crystal Balls, and we've been talking with Bill Rogers, and he and Steve Mueller are the authors of this book. Bill, tell us how to get your book. Well, it is available um, on the iUniverse uh, website. And um, the book uh, has uh, it's it's in it's in hardcover, paperback, and an ebook as well, which is very affordable. And um, there's also a, a website uh, for the book itself, uh, which iUniverse created for me. It's a wonderful website, and it's at uh, crystalballsbook.com. Crystalballsbook.com. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. My pleasure. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. 
Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you, here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage, connectwithjulianainmedia.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune into Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, this book of poetry and free verse, Pepper Grease, a book of poems for those with a flavorful soul. And the author and That's poet right. and the author and poet is H.K. Edwards. Hello, Hardy. Hello, how are you, Mr. Jurgensen? Nice speaking with you. Great to have you with us. We're going to have you read some of your poems to us in a moment, but I just wanted to read couple of things that you've written about your book. Uh, you say, Pepper Grease is a tasty work of art we can talk about together and share with a good meal amongst family and friends, a uh, coffee chat with a group of students at a book reading or in an aud- auditorium of bibliophiles. So, you know, it, it, co- it covers all kinds of different topics, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And I wrote it. Uh, intently for that purpose. I want to make sure that we continue reading with enjoyment. There used to be a slogan when I was younger from the reading is fundamental riff. And it says, reading is fundamental. I think I was a lucky person in my youth because I was able to enjoy reading without the association of labor with it. I wanted to write something that allowed me to feel the same thing I did when I was reading when I was younger, and I had hoped that other readers would come to experience as well. So I put together a book of poems that hopefully addresses those qualities. I think reading is fun. I think literacy is very important, and I hope that people will become more interested in reading 
further after having read some of the poems from the book. Well, before we hear some of your poems, tell us about your background and why you decided to do this. Well, I decided to do this for a number of reasons, but basically I had written some poems in my youth and in college, and some of my professors or peers would say, oh, you know, you should write some more poems or put together a book or do this or do that with your writing. And I wanted to get out of the you shoulds to the I have. And I wrote the book so that I could bring together family and friends and maybe even a larger circle of where we could share discourse and exchange ideas about some of the themes that come out of the book and some of our personal experiences and what we share together and hopefully what we will be able to have in our posterity. So I wrote the book mostly to enjoy our mutual cultural endowments and to celebrate who we are together. And you've had quite a, quite a career. I started working when I was about 15. I did lots of small odd jobs when I was younger than that, you know, cutting lawns and helping out with neighbors and different things like that. But I started working for Sears and Roebuck at 15 and a half. As soon as I was able to get a job, I wanted to work. And then, uh, of course, from there I started doing jobs that I could help pay for college and go to school. And then a friend of mine on a dare asked me to uh, try out for one of the amusement parks because I'd like to clown around and have fun with uh, singing and dancing. And I just went for the heck of it. Wow, you know, I have a chance to work at Magic Mountain or a theme park or something like that. That would be fun. And from there, I got the job, and then uh, the person that was the director of the show told me to go get some additional training, and then from there, I got more chances to do entertainment work and singing and dancing in Las Vegas and Tahoe and the Bahamas and Japan and television and films and stage and I kept reading the whole time and hoping to have, uh, you know, fun discussions about books and topics that somehow uh, weren't always easily uh, accessible in those circles. So I went back to college and got my degrees, uh, my baccalaureate in African American Humanities and an English uh, minor, and then an English credential, and then a social studies credential, and then a counseling credential, and then a master's in counseling, and a specialization in career counseling. And I started working in the schools, and then I worked in the university, and I worked with curriculum design and various aesthetics areas, you know, to try to bring our appreciation of nature and the arts and sciences all together. I want us to have a better life given the challenges that we have and to 
look for a variety of resources and means, ways by which we can achieve that collective objective. Well, that is quite a career. And why, why title your book Pepper Grease? Pepper Grease is a moniker for what many of the families, maybe even yourself, Steve, and others, you have a little leftover bacon fat or chicken fat in almost all the households I would see as a child or growing up would have kind of a coffee can or grease jar or something right. like that on the right. stove. And when you pour the excess and drink, you might use it again to fry up some eggs or add it uh, to some flour and water and make up some gravy or however you would use that. But whatever that particular seasoning you would have in your household, some people would have a little bit more cayenne, some might have a little bit more pepper, some might have a little bit more garlic spice or whatever that flavor is, then you have that in the grease. And our households tended to have a little bit more pepper. They like things a little bit more spicy, so the grease is pepper grease. The grease that we would have would be pepper grease. So I thought about how my mom would cook and uh, things that we would prepare and, and our conversations at our sit-down meals and things like that, and the title Pepper Grease came to me with a poem that I wrote regarding that situation. And it was a, a very personal uh, experience in that I was not able to see my father a lot when I was younger. And my mom would ask, oh, have you talked to your father? Have you spoken with your dad? And I would say, no, I haven't. And this reason or that reason. So though it's solemn in content, it's very optimistic and reflective because while I'm thinking about the loss of the relationship with my father, I'm present with my mother and all of the sensory experiences of the food and the colors and the emotions and then the pepper grease reminds me of what was best about sitting down there at the table, having a meal, talking about my father, but having my mother so present and loving. And at the same time, we were able to eat and have our homes and we were provided for. And that maybe is a, a higher source given the odds against what we were able to enjoy. So all of those things come together in the title work of Pepper Grease. Why don't you share a couple of your favorites? Well, I'll share with you Rhythm of the City. Growing up in an urban area, as I have from Compton, California to Mid-City, Los Angeles, and uh, for a short time living in New York City and some other areas, I call this one Rhythm of the City. Rhythm of the City makes the dog bark, makes the birds sing. Grandma, wash the bathtub ring. 
Them greens cooking in the pot so smell good. Uncle ain't working, but wish that he would. Find a job that pays more than 25-cent thrills because the bills keep coming, and they don't care who they hurt, who they scare. They will jump over liberty, beat down on freedom, lie about tomorrow, and steal your dreams today. Yeah, rhythm of the city keeps on a beating the rat-a-tat-tat and stuff like that. For the rich man to dance, for the poor man's song, the melodies of hope and what the good heart brings. Save the city children, masked in illusion, drugs and violence weaved in confusion. Change the beat to a sweeter chord. Somebody do something, if not you, dear Lord. Fantastic. That really uh, creates and paints a lot of pictures. Yes. And Rhythm of the City, it has a lot of different pulses. Right. And good and bad. A lot of emotions. Sweet and sour, yes. A lot of emotions. Another one would be just us. And this one is kind of where you shared earlier how I might see myself as an activist, not formally, but I think each of us has a role to play as a social activist, even if it's just advocating for the well-being of our families or the safety of our neighborhood or the amenities that we need for the infrastructures in our communities. I think if we address these things deftly, we'll see a better quality of life for more instead of less. So this one is entitled Just Us. Who that down there in the gutter with the needle in their veins? Just us. Who that in the prison cells? Criminally insane. Just us. Who be making all that noise in them gangster limousines? Just us. Who are the children whose lies are busting at the seams? Just us. Who be the homeless, the hungry, and the nominally deprived? Just us. Who are the peoples dying from age in the prime of their lives? Just us. Who can shine the American Constitution and bring about a change? Just us. What is the answer to the problem some afraid to ponder? Justice or just us? Very good. Very, very good. Well, what would you say... What would you say about values and virtues once upheld? What would you say? Is that another theme that you have in your book? I think so. I believe that we live in a time where our social mores are so warped in some ways that the values of our humanitarian expression 
are eclipsed by our capitalistic identities. Now, we do get to see a little bit of heroism and, you know, sharing and caring and goodness of human nature in many of these situations that are catastrophic, natural disasters or terrible crimes against one another with these horrific acts of violence. Then we get to see the emergence of of how good we are. But I think we don't have a standard practice of upholding virtues and values as much as maybe our, uh, you know, our past memory service or our nostalgic way of seeing them. I can remember as a child being held accountable up and down the block where someone would say hello and if I were not polite enough to return that hello or acknowledgement, there was a consequence for a lack of politeness. It seems today you might even have a punitive consequence for politeness. A small example is one time in a work setting, I said hello to someone. I said, oh, hello, Miss So-and-so. And Miss So-and-so didn't respond, and I thought, well, maybe so-and-so didn't hear what I said. So I said, oh, good morning. And the person flippantly replied in an acerbic, condescending, rebuttal tone, hello, whatever your name is. Now, this is a colleague that I've worked with for 10 years. How are you? What's going on here? What was the deal? So the erosion of uh, basic cordiality, consideration and regard that we should have for one another, equitable measures, not acting spitefully towards each other. I think that if we uphold these virtues and values of kindness, honesty, respect for the beauty that we have for each other, the beauty for our environments, our world, that I think we might be a little bit happier and a little bit more prosperous in the ways that really matter. There are a lot of themes in the book that address those questions that come up, particularly in the haiku and sinru selections that ask us to think about our behaviors, who we are in the world, what is virtuous, what are our personal values. Maybe we could redefine them. Maybe we could share more common interests or at least explore what those might be. And when they do differ from our own, maybe be more accepting or tolerant of those differences so that we have less stress, fewer angst-ridden expressions, and that our children really celebrate all of the bounty of life that is so wonderful instead of their guarded fears as motivations for how they behave. This is the inevitable hope that I have with the book to bring about, as you said, more values and virtues 
that would acknowledge those things. We've been listening to H.K. Edwards, performer, teacher, activist, philosopher, poet, (laughs) (laughs) and all-around good guy. (laughs) Why, thank you, Steve. Yeah, well, tell tell us how to get your book. Deborah Grease is available online with uh, iUniverse. You can contact iUniverse.com for the book. It's also easily accessible with Barnes and Noble, BarnesandNoble.com, and Amazon.com. It's also on ebook pie, or you can go to my website for more information, PepperGrease.com. And there'll be some listings of how to acquire the book there as well. And it should be in libraries and bookstores. And, of course, any of the listeners can request that that be ordered for their library, local libraries or bookstores. And then uh, others can share those books anytime they want by going to the library or their bookstores, and I hope we'll we'll do a lot more of that. I hope we will take our family members and friends to libraries and bookstores, and that we that we slow down a little bit and read some words and enjoy time together that way, well, thank- quietly and joyfully. Thank you so much for being with us, HK on iUniverse Radio. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mr. Jurgensen. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.